Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to another episode of Internet Hate Machine. I am joined, as always, by my producer, Sophie. Sophie, thank you for being here today. Happy to be here and happy to have our guest that is here. I am happy to have our guest, too. Someone who I realized I know, I guess I, am, I would call myself voice familiar with, and that is James Stout, investigative journalist, historian, also educator. James, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you. It's nice to be uh, face familiar as well. <laughs> so we were just talking about this. James, you are a sometimes teacher, sometimes educator. Yeah, that's right. Um, so I'm currently adjunct faculty, uh, which means I have no job security, uh, which is great at uh, San Diego <laughs> Community College. Uh, it's a good thing that's happening to academia, which is overall a great industry that has no issues. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. So I, I've taught at UC San Diego. I've taught at National University. Um, I like community college stuff more. Um, that's what I do now. I taught a little bit of high school and some little kids. I've, I've done diabetes education stuff for. But. I have to say, I am also a former educator. When you were talking about adjuncting, I adjuncted <laughs> all over the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area for many years. I taught full time at Howard University here in D.C. I also I, I really enjoyed community college. Um, I thought that was I mean, I liked Howard a lot, too. That's kind of my my teaching home for the longest amount of time. But community college was really great. But when I was there, I also had the, I guess I'll say, lack of job stability, lack of... <laughs> it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a pretty precarious time in my life. I remember I was, like, driving all over D.C. <laughs> and Virginia, and I was making, like, $1,200 a semester or something. Oh, and I remember very distinctly having a fa an all-staff faculty meeting with, like, full professors and, like, full-time full -time lecturers and stuff. And at the end of these meetings, they would always give the adjunctors the bagels. And I, I, want, I, want, I wanted to be offended, like, but then I would always be like, well, I'm going to take the bagels. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, uh, I will say, uh, in San Diego, we have a really good union, the AFT, and we get paid better than any other adjunct faculty I know. So like, maybe everyone should join a union and stand up to their bosses. But yeah, freeway faculty, the struggle, struggle is real. 
So as educators, I guess I would say the state of education broadly is something that I really, really care a lot about. Like, it's something I think a lot about. I think it's really related to the the well-being of our nation and sort of like where we're going as a people. And that's kind of why it pains me to talk about what we're going to be talking about today, which is critical race theory, or more specifically, the completely manufactured panic around critical race theory. So if you don't know what critical race theory is, don't feel bad. I think most people, even the people who are engaged in the loudest conversations about critical race theory, probably do not know what it is and have probably not even ever encountered it. So here's a definition of critical race theory from the Legal Defense Fund. They say critical race theory, or CRT, is an academic and legal framework that denotes that systemic racism is part of American society from education to housing to employment to healthcare, which, I don't know, seems like a kind of obvious statement to make in a country like America, but they go on. Critical race theory recognizes that racism is more than the result of individual bias and prejudice. It is embedded in laws, policies, and institutions that uphold and reproduce racial inequalities. According to CRT, societal issues like Black Americans' higher mortality rate, outsized exposure to police violence, and the school-to-prison pipeline, denial of affordable housing, and rates of death in Black women and childbirth are not unrelated anomalies. So basically, it's this academic and legal framework that posits that racism is part of our society and that it's replicated in our institutions. It's not just individual, like, racist, mean white peoples, like white meanies. It is institutional. Uh, I think it's also important to remember that the panic around CRT is completely manufactured and disingenuous. How do we know that? Well, the originator of the attack has said so pretty plainly. Christopher Rufo, senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and I would say all around like right wing grifter Shithead. asshole. Shithead. Yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever choice word you want to use to explain him. Basically, he is the person who brought us this like panic around a relatively obscure academic theory and having that academic theory be negatively conflated with anything even tangentially related to race. This is an intentional strategy. Rufo says, we will eventually turn critical race theory toxic as we put all of the various cultural insanities under that brand category. The goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. And I have to say, I'm... Sad that he has been, I would say, like, pretty successful. I, the, the list of things I have seen peop, uninformed people on television call critical race theory, it would, it's like things where it's like, I don't even know what that means. Or like, you know, this is just another critical race theory, and then insert something that has nothing to do with critical race theory. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a boogeyman for, uh, like, I don't want to investigate my privilege or, or like, stance or standpoint at all. Exactly. So we know that panic around CRT is harmful for all kinds of reasons. But today I want to focus on the real human cost of what happens when you call anything even tangentially related to race CRT and then whip up an intentional panic around it. And the story that I want to get into today is the story of Cecilia Lewis, because she really is someone who is, by all accounts, like a very accomplished educator who got caught up in this CRT panic, when really she had nothing to do with it. And her story is a good reminder of the fact that, you know, when we talk about these whipped up outrage, like moral outrages, 
it's not just ideological. People, there are real people who get caught in the crossfire and it has a real damaging impact on their actual lives. Yeah, yeah. That's very sad. Yeah, and if anyone's familiar with this story, it's, it's, it's terrible. I'm not, so I'm excited to hear some terrible shit. Yeah. So first of all, I have to give a very, very big shout out to Nicole Carr, uh, investigative reporter at ProPublica, who wrote a really meaty expose on Cecilia Lewis's story. Honestly, it sounds like Cecilia Lewis was not someone who was super interested in telling her story publicly. Like, I think that she just wanted to lay low and have all of this go away and did not want was not someone who was interested in being caught up in this kind of a public thing. But shout out to Nicole, who really did a a very meaty piece on what happened that includes some, like, very, very compelling, thoughtful interviews with uh, Cecilia. So who is Cecilia Lewis? Cecilia Lewis is an educator who was living in Maryland. Her husband's job was being relocated to Georgia, and so she was like, oh, I need to find a job in Georgia. They were preparing to move from Maryland to Georgia when she got a new job at the Cherokee County School District in Georgia, where she was going to be the county's first administrator focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, commonly known as DEI. If you ever worked, like, most people probably know what DEI is or have come into contact with some aspect of it. If you don't know what it is, it's basically initiatives that focus on things like implicit bias, ableism, gender discrimination, and generally just tries to make everyone feel welcome and included in a space. So, Nothing nefarious. You know, if you, if you had to take your employee, you know, harassment training or gender bias training, things like that, folks are probably pretty familiar with it. It is a pretty common standard thing in a lot of our lives. Uh, Cecilia also focuses on what is known as social emotional learning, which I'm going to kind of like boil this concept down. It's basically just the idea of being empathetic to the emotional and social realities of a goal in the classroom. So saying things like, oh, Sometimes students can feel anxious taking a test, or it's good for everyone to work together to accomplish our goals. Uh, those would be examples of social emotional learning. So, yeah, this whole stuff is remarkable. I'm just thinking about, like, with the social emotional learning, how, like, maybe this all kicked off. Do you remember when people were really mad about, um, like, content warnings in teaching? No, it's just very, uh, it's, it's very strange to me because, like, a large number of the people I teach are uh, veterans, right? Just, it's, it's how poor people can go to university in this country and that that's not great that's that's not a good idea uh but but it is it is what it is and like uh it seems to me that if if you're one of those people who very much enjoys respecting veterans then maybe you should also not be trying to introduce into things that might um like i have a lot of students who might have ptsd right and they'll have an accommodation letter for that and if they have a thing that might be difficult for them or hard for them to hear about talk about whatever then then it seems to me that the kind thing to do respectful thing to do is to be like hey we're gonna talk about it. if you don't want to talk about this absolutely fine you know you can go uh and we'll come back later and it'll be great uh but apparently that that became like a site of the culture wars and it of course these people are always hypocritical like that's it's kind of the point um but yeah it's just ridiculous yeah we love respecting veterans until we have to do the thing like like the yeah. smallest thing and not even do it just like Except that this is a practice being done to help support veterans. Oh, absolutely not! No, 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 no! I can't have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. can't be, can't be doing something that's nice to everyone. Like it, it, we could, or maybe we can only do it for veterans because they've earned the right to, uh, to not be like traumatized further in the classroom. But yeah, it's very strange that the, this thing suddenly became a site of the culture war when it's just being nice to your students. Yeah, I mean that's that's something that when I was doing the research for this episode, 
I kept being struck by, which is the things that these, quote, parents groups or concerned parents, in air quotes, say they are against are such basic tenets of, like, having respect for others. Like, you don't want your, you don't want your child being taught about having respect for others or, like, basic empathy or, you know, the things that the things that they would list as their grievances about the ways that that our schools are being used to, like, indoctrinate their kids into wokeness or whatever are such basic common principles. And I can't I can't imagine that they would have that, like, someone would make a big issue about their kids learning about it. Yeah, it's a very strange terrain to, like, to, like, make your stand in the culture wars, you know, I mean, the as we record this, the culture wars are like really focused on gas ovens. So I guess we're just like, uh, we're doing weird shit now. <laughs> Wait, like, what? Yeah, I don't know. Some uh, it's it, some Texas representative was <laughs> like posted today that you could take his gas oven from his cold, dead hands, which like, like if, they, if they're going to focus on gas ovens and not like harass uh, <laughs> like trans people or children, then <laughs> f- fine. Like, you know, like I can't wait for them to, I don't know, make a stand at Bed Bath and Beyond and like whatever, whatever, whatever's coming next. But if it no gets heat more kids, induction heat, yeah. gas only. Yeah. It's woke. <laughs> it's the new woke oven. We should use coal. Like it's it funny to. that you say this. So I did just recently learn that the reason why, and I'm sure people are going to disagree with this, and I'm I'm not an expert, but mm-hmm. that the reason why we think of gas as better than electric is just because mm-hmm. of propaganda uh, from the yeah, from yeah. like. The nat- the like petroleum industry and natural gas industry. I had no idea. So so basically, my whole life, I have I've never had a a, a gas stove, and I've always been like, oh, it would be so great to have one. Come to find out, elect electric is just as good, if not better. Yeah, it's it's fine. You've been gaslit. And the phrase I've been gaslit, and the phrase um, now you're cooking with gas. That was one hundred percent a ma- a manufactured phrase by the gas really? industry. Fun fact. I just learned that. Yeah. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah, it's great to see these people have adopted marketing as their entire identity. It a is. thing that's never happened before. So back to Cecilia Lewis. Basically, you know, if you think back to 2020, when the entire world was having this sort of like reckoning around race and racial justice, in the wake of that climate, the Cherokee County School District was like, we should have our first ever DEI administrator. And that was one of the par- part of the reason why Cecilia was hired. But as we know, that climate also came with this backlash from folks who probably felt like, oh, my, I feel challenged. My, I'm starting to feel a little bit threatened in the fact that I am on the top of, of, you know, the social hierarchy. So as we know, that came with backlash. And I think that what happened to Cecilia is part of that backlash. Cecilia was excited to start her new job and by all accounts was like a talented, accomplished educator. But she gets an email from the administrator at her new school district asking her if she has ever heard of CRT. And this was kind of before the CRT panic had really taken root. And Cecilia was like, uh, I, don't, I don't know what that is. I've never really heard of that. Now, the fact that she was such an accomplished teacher with like a master's degree, had been in the field for a while, and that she had never even heard of it really goes to show you how wild of a claim it is that she was somehow also planning on incorporating this this academic theory into her into her work at the school. She said she had never even heard of the concept, yeah. right? So before she even starts at the school district, parents start using a private Facebook group uh, for Cherokee County School District parents to dig into her background. Um, one person posted that Cecilia's, quote, critical race theory background was a threat to the kids and encouraged everybody to send an email to the school board complaining. But again, 
Cecilia says she didn't even know what this was. Basically, what they are saying is, this is a Black woman who has the word diversity in her title, right? Like, it's, like, very clear that this is, Cecilia was not somebody who had had any history of teaching CRT. She says that she had never even heard of it. It does not show up in any public posts or statements that she has ever made in the history of her being alive at this point. And yet these parents are convinced that she has a background in critical race theory just for no reason. Right. Well, yeah, there's a reason. Other than her being a black (laughs) woman. Yeah. Yeah. That's so odd. Like, and it's not something that anyone ever will be teaching to like anyone, um, unless you're like precocious and extremely smart. You're not engaging with like critical theory in school and like, not until you get to like upper level university classes. Right. Exactly. I mean, the whole, the whole thing is a farce. Right. And so, yeah. um, and I think this really shows to me how so much of the reporting around critical race theory was bad in so many ways, but probably the way that was the most infuriating to me and the most harmful in my opinion is the way that it really allowed grifters to raise their personal profiles by getting up in school board meetings and screaming about critical race theory, yeah. you know, and I think that, I I would watch news reports, like local news reports, where parents were being called, you know, concerned parents or parents (laughs) concerned about school transparency or parent, a parent who started a local grassroots organization. But they would never talk about the way that those organizations were funded, coordinated and propped up by right wing think tanks, for instance, or, you know, they just like would let these people go on television spewing nonsense yeah. and getting engagement on it without ever cr- asking any kind of critical questions about why that was. And I think that, I, I, I don't know, I think that when we allow for grifters to just have the stage, all of us lose out, right? And so these are people who realize that if they showed up to their local school board meetings and gave like a fiery speech, they might end up on Fox News. They might end up being a contributor to Fox News. They might be able to parlay this in a run for public office, which more on that later. Um, And I think that these people are just (laughs) like charlatans who use these kinds of issues to personally enrich themselves. And the way that the the way that local media especially allows them to do that, I think is criminal. Yeah, it's yeah, this ridiculous kind of credulous or even like this both sides thing of things. Right. You you don't actually need to give the the side who are lying about stuff airtime. They did a coup here, by the way. They cooed the school board. Really? Like, yeah, like, I forget exactly what's happening. There was, like, a protest, and then the school board basically left. I think people were, like, interrupting and shouting and touching, and the school board um, decided, like, to leave for their for their own safety, I think. And then uh, these people installed themselves as a school board. They, like, went up there and did, like, a, a pronunciamiento. And oh, just that's went, like, right, that's right. Like, we're the school board now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which is not how school boards work, but... It's not how anything works. (laughs) Yeah. And you're so right about this kind of really bad both sides that we see because something that, so I live in DC and one of the hotbeds of anti-critical race theory nonsense was Loudoun County, which is in Northern Virginia, pretty close to DC. And so I would Mm -hmm. watch on my local news how this issue was being framed by local, like local media. And I know that we... You know, I don't want to rag on local media too much because I know that they're very under-resourced. And so I can I can understand why you would slap together a both sides package and just like air it and it's fine. Because, you know, when you just have to get something out, I told I, I can understand that. But just what a disservice it did. And I think it's interesting how whenever local media would highlight parents on the issue, 
almost always by default, those parents were white and had a problem with inclusion in the classroom. And so where were Black parents who were like, this is kind of scary. People are showing up at school board meetings, foaming at the mouth. And it's it's concerning to me who we centered as concerned parents in that whole conversation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fascinating. And yeah, it, it's you have to think about the impact you're reporting. Like, like you said, people have to get stuff out. And I understand that. And I've had to get stuff out myself. But like... Maybe we have a little bit too much news, and, and this is what happens when when we don't take any kind of editorial stance, and yeah, we like act like a fucking golden retriever, just being like, oh, 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 oh. like look at these people. And what a so, golden yeah. retriever's every duty. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, mean, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes, like we report things like we're like these little dogs that are just like, oh look, someone's shouting. Let's give them a microphone, as opposed to being like, huh. Example I like to use for local media is like cops with fentanyl. Like our local media here, like about a year ago, did this insane story on like this cop who had uh, like contact overdose, which isn't a thing that you can do. And and, yeah, just being like, oh, look, it's a great story. It's an exciting video. Put it out, put it out, put it out. And not just be like, huh, but what if it's not true? Why don't we contact a single medical doctor or just Google, can you contact overdose fentanyl? Because see, like the American College of Medical Toxicology is extremely clear. Uh, but yeah, in, instead, you know, I guess you get some clicks or something. I don't know. It's disappointing. There are great local reporters too. Yeah, yeah. I I don't want to rag on local reporting. The fentanyl thing is something that burns me up. I, I will go. I will just like go off on a complete tangent. <laughs> I saw one recently where the headline suggested that a police officer was doing a traffic stop. The fentanyl blew up. There was a gust of wind, and they say that the fentanyl like. <laughs> blew up her nose and that she that like she had an an overdose that way it's like it, the amount of anti it just just think about it for one second if that's something that you think that makes sense like she opened the car door there was a gust of wind wouldn't you know it it blew right up her nose uh, yeah it's mad it's uh and, and it really hurts people right like because if you see someone overdosing, you should go and, and try and help them. And if you have Narcan, you can very, very easily help them. And there aren't many downsides to using Narcan. But if you think that by being within 25 feet of them, you're going to overdose yourself, then you might not do that. And that that person might not make it. And, and like, it's really damaging. It's not just like silly and funny. And it's unfortunate for these tech cops, but like, uh, it's, it's unfortunate that someone's told them a lie to the degree that they're, they're having these sort of psychosomatic problems, right? Like, Totally. That's not very nice for them, I'm sure. And it's also, I, I think that your point is such a good one that it's incredibly stigmatizing for people who do use substances. I think the idea yeah. that, like, you can't even touch them or you'll get it. Like, it, it's, it's incredibly, like, dehumanizing. And I think, it, I think it is a myth that normalizes this kind of stigmatizing, dehumanizing understanding of people who use substances that we should really be all working to dismantle because it makes us all less safe. It's like harmful to all of us. Yeah, and like, like we did this with HIV, right, as well. Like, we essentially like, ignored evidence that suggests you, know, you can't get HIV from using the same fucking lift as someone. Elevator, uh, for those of us who are in America. Uh, but, or a chair or something. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did that help, Sophie? Did that <laughs> <laughs> no, it really made me laugh. <laughs> uh, it, 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 yeah, it stigmatized people, and uh, actually, I make I make my students watch a, a film about that particular thing. Um, right. 
I'm sorry, I, I, we've gone way off topic, but oh, the fentanyl thing will always will always take me off topic. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world. To bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. So let's talk about some of these professional-ass haters who whipped up a fury around Cecilia Lewis. Like, these people are, like, haters of the fucking year in my book. Uh, So before Cecilia Lewis had ever moved to Georgia or even started her job there, Rhonda Thomas, the founder of the nonprofit Truth in Education, was really on on the case of keeping Cecilia out. So the website for her organization, Truth in Education, has a long list of things that they oppose in schools. They're trying to protect kids from social-emotional learning, critical race theory, radical gender ideology, obscene and inappropriate books, comprehensive sex education, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and (laughs) many other destructive practices ruining our schools. 
Side note, this must also include proofreading because look at this screenshot <laughs> that was on their website. Are obscene materials in your S-C-O-O-L library? That's well, right. I can tell you, I can tell you who's not in the fucking library, whoever wrote that on the website. <laughs> it's because they're cool. Yeah, that's why they spell it that way. <laughs> yeah. Are they in your S-Cool library? Yeah, yeah. Magnificent stuff. So here's a little bit of Rhonda explaining why she does what she does in her own words. And in the past four years, I've been involved in educating legislators and parents on the comprehensive sex ed that's in our schools, the critical race theory once it came on the scene, uh, and also uh, the social emotional learning. So I felt really passionate about it. I thought God called me to this. I had so many parents coming and very concerned. So we've been very involved in educating them, helping them work with their school boards, finding school board members. We're just doing everything we can to really assist these parents because they're in a very difficult situation. And we're seeing their children propagandized through all this. And it really is a Marxist agenda. Uh, Not only is the critical race theory Marxism, but the comprehensive sex ed is too, because Marxism is all about (laughs) separation of family, breaking down the country, and what is key to our country? It's our family. All right, you get the idea. Uh, So cursed. Aside from the fact that, like, people can look up false consciousness and understand what Marx thought about race and and maybe investigate why that's not (laughs) actually right. This reminds me so much of the... Are you guys familiar with the Trojan horse affair? I think so, not, but maybe not. I'm not, not seeing... Not like the Greek <laughs> thing, but like the scandal in British education whereby there was largely like a mass panic about like, like quote-unquote fucking... Whatever this means to different people, right? Sharia law in education and like quote-unquote Islamicization of British schools. Um, there's an excellent podcast. I think it was people who did Serial um, made, made, a, made a series about this and people should listen to it. Um, but like it's the same same shit, right? Like it, it's 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 this fabricated mass panic about like they're taking our children. Yeah, I mean, I I sorry, that sounds fascinating to me, and it's so interesting because like we I want to talk about this later in the episode, but how schools and like education has long been this this place where you can always reliably get people scared and panic. <laughs> like there's something about schools, and I think that the the, the vibe of like sending your kid off to school is like a very stressful, you know, emotional thing for a lot of parents. And I think that it's just a, it's just, it creates the conditions for really harmful panics to take root and spread. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons why we see education as this battleground and and we have for so long. Yeah. And like the nature of the world is such that generations will always be different. Right. And they have been like, you can find that Greeks and Romans writing about these kids today and their shit music. Um, But like, you send your children away to school, they get exposed to other perspectives, to other people, and they come back different uh, from the way they were if you just kept them in your little bubble and cocoon. And increasingly, I'm guessing for a lot of these people, their kids were coming back more tolerant, more aware of of people who are different from them, right? And, and what diversity means and why it's broadly a good thing. And they didn't like that. So they, they got mad and made up a thing. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so that brings me to another hater of the year in this story, Noelle Kahanian, who runs Protect Student Health Georgia, a nonprofit that 
is basically the same stuff as Rhonda's is. Um, it's all based in fear-mongering. And it's so interesting. So I went to her website, her organization's website, and they would have you believe that schools are handing out hardcore bondage pornography to kids. So on her website, under the section Remove Obscene Materials, she writes, Georgia law contains a loophole that allows school libraries and public libraries to expose children to obscene and harmful materials, both visual and verbal descriptions. The definition of harmful to minors is sadomasochistic abuse. It means actual or simulated flagellation or torture by or upon a person who is nude, clad in undergarments, a mask or bizarre costume, or the condition of being fettered, bound, or otherwise physically restrained by one so clothed or nude. I don't know that that's, I don't know that that's really being handed out in school libraries. Like, I don't know that that is really, and it's so interesting to me how, like, anybody not, who not reads a school this, library I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, where was the BDSM section in my fourth grade school library? I really needed to find it. Yeah. But it's just, it's all fear-mongering, right? I think that most people would read this and be, oh, she is clearly trying to stoke my fear and outrage about you know, my kids being threatened by, you know, perverts or something to get me to act. I don't see how anybody could look at these and think this is not just meant to fearmonger. Yeah, very strange. Some of the shit's in the Bible, I guess. There's probably some some flagellation and maybe that's what they're going for. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, and it's interesting to note that both of these women's organizations uh, on their websites have places where they encourage people to send in tips about schools teaching things that they don't like or to surveil school board members, right? So it's like, oh, you know, definitely <laughs> has, yeah, it definitely has that aspect of surveillance and turning people in who you suspect of teaching things that you don't like. Um, and so these parents are just grievance mongers who have figured out how to use this outrage and stoke it to generate attention, not just for their, like, bullshit liberty in schools or whatever mantra, but to also pay attention to them to personally raise their profiles. Uh, ProPublica got audio of Noelle telling parents how to go to school board meetings and to use what she calls the tsunami effect to just pile on with more and more outrageous speeches and to get good video of, you know, really stellar performances. She told a crowd, it's good in case Tucker Carlson wants to put you on the air. It really helps. And so these are people who are open about the fact that they are gunning for television opportunities and for fame and for eyeballs. They have an, they're not just concerned parents. They're people who have an ax to grind and also just really want to be on television. Totally normal stuff. Yeah, and I think, James, it goes back to something that you said earlier about our sort of digital media climate where we have this vibe where attention is what Cells, atten- like, yeah. and so these parents know they can just play to that. So it's not, it's not parents getting up at a school board and making a thoughtful, uh, like saying something thoughtful or like genuinely trying to have actual discourse or ask a question or find actual understanding. No, no, no. They're interested in little stunts and grandstanding because they know that's what's going to pop. That's what's going to work in our current digital media ecosystem. Right, like if it if it can't be distilled to like a TikTok or a tweet or like a, like an Instagram reel, then uh, is it is it really worth like saying in that like you're not going to get the attention for it, right? From being like I don't understand what we're teaching and I'd like to know, like I'm concerned, but please explain to me what a DEI coordinator does, for instance. Exactly. So 
at a school board meeting, these people start discussing Cecilia, who, again, has not even started her job in the school district yet. And they're basically saying that she's an outsider who is going to change the district. Uh, Listen to how racialized what they say uh, in these meetings is. They had seven other candidates in, in, that they interviewed, and they chose her. Yeah. And, we're, and we asked that question. We said, there's no, I mean, we live near Atlanta. You cannot yeah. tell me, you know, that you can't find somebody else qualified. And if you're looking for her to be black, that's fine. But that's not what this is about. This is not about the color of your skin. It's what she's going to bring into our district. And yeah. she's going to teach our children. Yeah. So, and they're, and they are, they are consistent. Every parenting now that I've seen, So basically, they really talk about her like they're like, oh, it's not that she's black. If they wanted to find somebody black, Atlanta's just down the street, which like what? Like it's (laughs) it's very clear to me that they're dancing around race. They really are careful to be like, oh, it's not we're not racist. We're not racist. But it's just about we don't like her. And so it's it's using all this language that is really trying to make her this outsider, which, again, they don't really know anything about this woman, what she's planning on teaching. She has not even started yet. So they're just completely basing this off the fact that she is a Black woman who has the word diversity in her title. And remember how Cecilia said that she had no idea what critical race theory was when her administrator asked her about it? Well, even as all of this outrage was brewing, she still didn't really know what it was. She told ProPublica that she actually had to research it to confirm that it had nothing to do with her role. She was like, I don't know, maybe I missed a memo somewhere that this is what I'm doing because they're so upset. Um, And again, this is someone who doesn't have social media. She only has a LinkedIn. She has never made public statements about CRT or really any kind of like public social media statements of any kind, really, because she doesn't do social media. But In a 48-hour period, the school gets 100 form letters demanding that Cecilia's employment offer be rescinded because of her perceived involvement with critical race theory. And why they're upset is super clear, right? It's because she's Black. In one letter, they basically spell this out. Somebody writes, Did you know that 77.8% of the population is considered white alone? 7.7 are Black and 11.1 are Hispanic. Are we now in a county that is going to cater to a handful of people? Like, The way that this is so obviously and overtly racialized and, like, about this incredibly white community feeling threatened by a Black person coming from Maryland is very clear. And also, another thing to know is that she's coming from Maryland, but the the place where she works in Maryland is also very white and also is, like, deeply Trumpy. So it's not not like she's coming from Baltimore. She's coming from one heavily white school district that voted for Trump to another heavily white school district that voted for Trump. God forbid your children at school in Cherokee County uh, (laughs) learn why they're living in a Trumpy white school district. Right, right. So people are outraged. And there is a school board meeting. The, The meeting, you can find videos of the meeting on YouTube. And the meeting is like one of those school board meetings where, you know, it's standing room only. They have to have security. They have me- they have to install metal detectors because that's how oh, yeah. outraged and pissed that these people have been whipped up into a frenzy. And so she doesn't live there. So Cecilia is not even able to to be to speak in this meeting, but she does watch it on a live stream. And basically, she watches as all of these people who hired her, who talked about how excited they were to have her doing this DEI work that they wanted to do, basically turn on her. The superintendent who hired her to work on DEI says, while I initially entertained and publicly spoke about the development of a diversity, equity, and inclusion 
DEI plan, I recognize that our intentions have become widely misunderstood in the community and it created division. To that end, I have concluded that there will be no separate DEI plan. So the thing that Cecilia had been hired to lead, he just gets up and is like, never mind, y'all. We're not doing it. It's over. Also, State Rep. Brad Thomas says that he's going to draft a resolution to make teaching critical race theory and the 1619 Project illegal in Georgia. Again, both of which have fuck all to do with Cecilia's job. It just yeah. Again, it's like just a mixed bag of perceived black things. It's like, oh, we're going to throw in like, we don't think anybody should play a Missy Elliott album on campus either. Throw that in there. <laughs> it's like, it's just like they're just like grabbing at things they perceive as black and saying they're against it. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features, like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. At UC San Diego, we understand that in order to turn the vast unknown into new cures or human connections or expansive culture, you have to be willing to venture further out. That's why we'll go as far as the International Space Station with cancer cells in hand and novel medicines in mind. That's why we map the seemingly randomness of forest fires and connect them with revolutionary AI to see where they'll appear next. And it's why we arrive on the San Diego shore from all over the world. To bring different perspectives to our world's biggest challenges. When you push the boundaries of science, art, and culture, whole worlds open up. And at UC San Diego, that's where the real adventure starts. Learn more at ucsd.edu. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. It's bizarre, like, 
And like, it's, God, if you want your child to fucking navigate the world, like maybe maybe they should be paying attention to the 1619 project. Like maybe it would be good if that was even like I'm in California, right? Which is like extremely uh, woke as education systems go. And like, I will have students come to my classroom, like totally unaware, for instance, of like really any of the history of like the Black Panthers or uh, the American Indian movement stuff, which is extremely important in making the country that we all have to live in, uh, especially stuff where you like I taught a course on political violence. And that's not something we talk about very much in schools at all. But like it, it, we, we are massively undereducated on a lot of this stuff. And it, yeah, very strange. Just out of curiosity, in your personal like education journey, mm-hmm. when did you? And I, I don't, I'm not super familiar with how it works where you grew up. But yeah. when do you? When did you feel like you started getting a better education on the things that are so often left out of the story? Well, I, I went to um, a lot of different schools, uh, but one of the schools we had a couple of priests who had like had to leave South Africa because of their uh, like fervent opposition to apartheid. <laughs> And uh, like I think that opposition may have, have strayed into political violence, but they were pretty good in being like, oh, there's some fucked up shit going down, eleven year old children, and uh, you should be aware of this." And like uh, I think I was younger than that when apartheid ended, but um, around then I was like, "Oh, that's pretty messed up." Uh, maybe, and then like my my family like traveled a lot to so go to different parts of the world and uh it was just being like oh fuck these little kids that i'm playing with here uh, have, have a different situation to me and that's pretty fucked up so i think i was probably about no 10 or 11 okay uh yeah when i when i became woke and it's all been downhill from there obviously for me <laughs> yeah now you're work now you're working with cool zone media <laughs> yeah, making yeah. left making lefty <laughs> marxist podcasts yeah 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 and, and, <laughs> Out here reading Marx and uh, like transing children's genders or whatever it is, they're right? To be right, doing. forcing kids into drag brunches, mm-hmm. all the, the, the works. But you know how the, we do, yeah. <laughs> we're out there every day, it's kidnapping your children on the front lines, yep. It's just main, just uh, projecting like BDSM porn into kindergartens, always. Mm-hmm. Sophie makes me. <laughs> yeah, that, that's Sophie's. That's Sophie's job as, as, yeah. the, as the leader of this ship. <laughs> yeah, it was weird when she got me the giant projector, but now I understand why. <laughs> so at this school board meeting, things start to go off the rails. Cecilia is mentioned by name, and when she is, parents, many of whom are were not able to get into this packed house school board meeting, who are outside, start beating on the windows and screaming, no, 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 when her name gets brought up. Here's a, here's a little taste of what that sounded like. So it's like a circus. 100%. It is like a circus. It is a lot of Caucasian people banging on the edge of a, of a window. <laughs> Yeah, I hope they're all well sunscreened. I'll just say that because it's like a hundred percent white people. <laughs> yeah, again, it's not a diverse crowd. No, again, this angry about somebody who they have never spoken to, they don't know any any anything about, right? This is like, and that's just the overflow crowd of folks who were not able to fit into the school building for the meeting. So the meeting is adjourned, and it's still pandemonium, and school board members have to be escorted home by the police because it is not safe. Yeah. So in this meeting, they. 
passed a resolution to ban critical race theory and to not teach the 1619 Project and that there's not going to be a DEI initiative in the school, Cecilia responds in a statement saying, I wholeheartedly fell in love with Cherokee County when I came for a visit and accepted the position, but somehow I got caught in the crossfire of lies, misinformation, and accusations which have zero basis. Um, And so I will give the tiniest, most minuscule defense of the school system here and that Cecilia does say that she got lots of calls from administrators who were like, oh my God, we're so embarrassed, we're so sorry. You know, the classic, this is not who we are. They say that they still want her to come work for the school district, but just not in DEI as planned because they got rid of the DEI initiative. Cecilia, understandably, is like, fuck no, right? Her husband is (laughs) like, absolutely no way we are moving there. You are not working with these people. In no way does it seem like a safe situation for her. Uh, She hasn't even moved to this, this community or even started this job. And so she already resigns before her first day. So you would think... That's the end of it, right? These these people got what they wanted. There's going to be no DEI in the school district. Cecilia is not coming to work there. You know, it should be the end of it. Well, you're going to have to get used to me saying this like five more times in this episode because every time you're like, shouldn't that be the end of it for these people? It's not. The story continues. Uh, And this is where stuff gets a little bit weird because there's kind of a lot of overlap of some of the conspiracy theory stuff that we've talked about before. Cherokee County parents keep using their private Facebook group to speculate on Cecilia's whereabouts. Cecilia (laughs) is still in Maryland, mind you. She did not end up coming to Georgia. So she is still just like in her home in Maryland. But people are making posts in this private Facebook group being like, I saw her at the hardware store. I saw her in a white car. It had Maryland (laughs) plates. So it's this like, just like really, I mean, I can't even imagine chasing some, like, Chasing somebody out of the community, and so they don't they don't even come there because they because I've I've you've been so horrible to them. And then after you get your way, you're gonna continue to like speculate on their whereabouts as if she's hiding in Lowe's, lurking in your community, just waiting to pounce and like teach your kids about diversity or something. Yeah. What are you communicating to your children? Like, oh, mommy's just going on her private Facebook group to harass a black lady in Baltimore who she thinks she saw at Lowe's. Like Exactly, exactly. Like the like the the posts on the group are are like just just something just something very very different of like y'all have too much time on your hands and are way too obsessed with this one person that y'all have never even fucking met. Yeah, very strange. So Cecilia never ended up coming to Georgia for that job, but her husband is still meant to be re- relocating for work, and so she still it, intends to look for work in Georgia. Um, she ends up getting her resume passed along to a job as the social studies supervisor in Cobb County, Georgia, which is nearby Cherokee County. So when she gets this job, that same private Facebook group for Cherokee County parents lights up, even though she is not intending to work for Cherokee County. She's working in another county. Uh, These parents continue surveilling this one educator that they've never met or spoken to and has nothing to do with the education of their child at this point. And the comments on the posts about her getting another job are horrible. One person writes, she's a syringe filled with division, razor blades, and hate. Like, not this normal. for someone that they've never even met and they have no idea what her background is. Yeah, what a bizarre... Uh, yeah, it's very strange. I'm just looking. Isn't that, like, just outside Atlanta? Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, but still not okay. Uh, it's great, because you look on the... I found it on Google Maps. It's nice to see Stone Mountain still kicking around. They'll kick in. They'll kick <laughs> yeah, in. Totally normal. 
that's the uh, that's the normal stuff. Whereas the DEI is what's in, what's uh, fermenting division and bad. Yeah, it's like oh, that's like these. I, I mean, it's one of those things where I hear a lot where it's like oh, black people are so obsessed with race. Now, excuse me while I name all of our roads and monuments after fucking <laughs> yeah. Confederate heroes and shit. Like, like who's just really obsessed here? Just make a racist here? mountain here. And yeah, see how I'll it just goes. make my racist mountain my monument to fucking racism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But y'all are obsessed with race. It's y'all. <laughs> I did, uh, I was in Georgia, not this year, now last summer, uh, writing about a refugee women's hiking group, um, which is a very cool thing. And if people are in uh, Atlanta, they should they should go support them give them money uh but it, it's fascinating because stone mountain is like not the neighborhoods around that are not like all wealthy white people and a lot of these these women who are like who had arrived from afghanistan or iran or all, all over the world right would like oh yeah i love to go hiking in stone mountain it's great i can get outside i can like and, which is the best fuck you to the racists on the mountain i could possibly think of right to see these families enjoying their time outside uh, but Ooh, yeah you have a whole ba- this is such a tangent you have a whole background in like um, inclusion in the outdoors, right? Yeah, it's something I've tried to write about a lot. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I think it's something that we have really, it's got better. But like every single time I've been to outdoor retailer for as long as I've been, which is a trade show for the outdoor industry, the theme is inclusion. And then this, it's the same fucking thing every year. And it's extremely tiresome. And that, I'm like a cisgender heterosexual white guy. And I find it tiresome. And uh, I, I can imagine, like, some of the shit my friends have had to deal with in the outdoor industry is just extremely cringe. Yeah, we, we should do, we should, we should talk about it. We should do yeah, a follow-up uh, episode on this. I am happy to. Uh, <laughs> I have a sure lot to say on the subject. Yeah, it's not my thing to, like, obviously, I'm, like I said, I'm a cishet white guy. But uh, we could all do more in the outdoor industry and... Yeah, it's it's disappointing, and it continues to be disappointing. And we appropriate shit from indigenous people, and and like virtue signal, but then don't actually like pay native artists to use native art and that kind of stuff. And it, it's yeah, it, it it's bad. Don't do that. Don't Podcast do fans. that. No. <laughs> so before Cecilia starts her new job, uh, the complaints from the same parents who you know were complaining the last time, even though she's not even mm. working in their county pour in. And they really illustrate, again, this complete lack of understanding of CRT and the job that Cecilia was hired to do. Parents call Cecilia a, quote, well-known advocate of critical race theory. When, again, remember, she's never talked about it publicly. She didn't even know what it was. Cobb County, like Cherokee County, also had voted to ban teaching critical race theory and the 1619 Project, uh, even though this has nothing to do with what she was hired for. But a parent emails the school district and basically expresses worry about critical race theory being taught. The superintendent replies saying, I agree 100% with you about critical race theory. Don't worry because it's banned in this county. The parent replies, why has Cecilia Lubis been hired by Cobb? She was hired by Cherokee schools for CRT and was run off because the parents put up such a fight. Now Cobb has quietly hired her. This is not a good move for the optics that Cobb has supposedly banned CRT. So again, this person who has nothing to do with it, just, just by by virtue of her being a Black woman, that is all it takes to connect her with critical race theory. Yeah. So she starts this job, and it is Red Flag City, right? Like, she ends up 
being asked to prepare a presentation to introduce herself to all the social studies teachers at a training. And then when she goes to this training, she's not allowed to speak. Um, All these different changes happened to her position. Uh, She was hired as a social studies supervisor, but any correspondence to social studies teacher that she's going to have now needs to be approved ahead of time. And she says that nothing that she ever writes gets approved. Basically, they were shutting her out of this job that she was hired for. She explains to ProPublica, she says, it was pretty much them tucking me away. Every meeting was canceled. Every professional learning opportunity that I was supposed to lead with my team, I couldn't do. Every department meeting with different schools, I was told I can't go. And honestly, kind of kudos to her because, I don't know, a lot of people might be fine with drawing a salary for a job that they don't actually have to do. Uh, But Cecilia was not, and she ends up resigning. So now she has been chased out of not one, but two different jobs because of this group of parents. Yeah, this is, yeah, kudos to this lady for, like, being incredibly brave. I would not be in the state of fucking Georgia if I was her, like... No, absolutely not. Bold, but yeah, good on her for sticking to her guns. And in the end, uh, these hating-ass parents of Cherokee County, they realized that they were wrong to drum up fake outrage around one Black woman for no reason. And they were all deeply ashamed of their behavior, and they were going to reflect inward. Oh, wait, no, 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 I'm just kidding. They were were, like high-fiving and like popping bottles, right? They took Cecilia leaving the state of Georgia, as a rallying cry to continue to work to amass more power on school boards. They started a group called Educate Cherokee, where they bragged about chasing her out of town, claiming it as one of their accomplishments. On their website, they wrote, bring your ideas, energy, and enthusiasm. We need to convert all of it to an effective election to effort to eliminate critical race theory by replacing all the current school board members up for re-election with new conservatives committed to our cause. Uh, the group that initially ousted Cecilia started calling themselves the Four Can Do More Coalition. And they launched a website that reads, in May of... Tw- I know. Physically in pain. What a powerful win for settler colonialism that you can call your group Educate Fucking Cherokee and not inspect that for a second. Not Just even a minute of introspection. Yeah, no. Wild. Maybe, maybe schools should teach some shit. Yeah, if, o- if only they had a, yeah. had DEI or like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, if only. Yeah, yeah. So on their website, they say, in May of 2021, Cherokee County was taken by surprise when it was announced that our conservative board voted to bring in Cecilia Lewis as administrator on a special assignment, Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. However, her history was riddled with critical race theory ideologies in her previous school district. Why would the current board vote 7-0 to to bring in someone to implement programs not in alignment with the family values of our community? They had a a whole plan to basically take over the school board through running for local school boards. They were even endorsed by the 1776 Project PAC, which you remember was that thing created to be sort of in opposition to the 1619 Project. Like, oh, you say 1619, we say 1776. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very strange. Uh, good. Yeah, I remember them doing this as if those people didn't own slaves. Like, like it, it. Exactly. However, they all lost. They do. They are all losers, and they did what losers do, which is <laughs> lose. They all lost their fucking elections, and of course, I mean, probably not surprising to you. When they lost their elections, they tried to pull that same kind of like, oh, rigged election. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. we need to like. 
oh, rigged vote kind of, of nonsense that we're all so familiar right, with by yeah. now. Yeah. Stop the steal. What what date are we? What, what date are we at now? Uh, this looks like post Trump post 2020. Yeah, yeah. So this is post 2020. And it's funny okay. because we did an episode about Shay and Ruby Freeman about how since 2020, that has become a common song and dance, right? Like, yeah. I oh, lost yeah. this election. Ergo, it's rigged. Ergo, special electors. Yeah. Like, how that has just become a thing that is now in our, our national bloodstream to all of our yeah. detriment. Yeah. We don't even have to wait to lose, right? Larry Elder had his website ready for that shit before the day of the election. Like, he Damn. pivoted his website <laughs> to stop the steal, like, uh, like, at midnight the day before the vote. Wow. Also, that is, like, really... It's not, it's like, if you are, if you think you, you know you're going to lose, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah, well, not yeah. a winning endorsement. <laughs> Transparent grift here. <laughs> so again, in the episode that we did about um, Shay and Ruby Freeman, we talked about how the business of local elections have been so intense that regular people just don't want the headache and the risk to their personal safety of being involved in it anymore, leaving these critical roles to be filled by extremists. And that very same thing is threatening our local school boards and, and education system as well. Um, according to Chalkbeat, extremists have launched at least 85 attempts in 2022 to recall 225 school board members a record number of recalls for a single year, especially given that only 23 states even allow for voters to recall school board members. I will say that, like, it does maybe seem like the tides are maybe turning a little bit on this. Um, just like those losers who targeted Cecilia Lewis, who all <laughs> lost their elections for school board. Hmm. In Michigan, extremists who were running for school board candidates who attacked, like, woke public schools, lost far more races than, than they won. This is true in parts of New Mexico, Ohio, and Connecticut. And my hope is that people are just sort of getting sick of this. Like, they're, they're just enough already. We don't want our school boards to become a complete circus of, who, of you know, who is vying, like, American Idol style to be on Fox News or whatever. <laughs> and I, I would be curious to get your take on this, James, because... Mm -hmm. I think that one of the reasons why education is such an effective kind of battleground for all of this is that there's a historical precedent for it. You know, this idea of concerned parents being used as a smokescreen to fuel and mask hate. You know, bigots were not pro-segregation in the 50s. They were concerned parents advocating for school choice. And, you know, it was not homophobes who wanted to strip gay people of their rights. It was concerned parents who wanted to keep their kids safe from the threat of gay teachers, right? And so, like, I think that schools and education have always been this historical place where a lot of hate can be masked by concerned parents who are concerned for their kids. Yeah, I think what we need is Dark Brandon to send the 101st Airborne to escort Cecilia Lewis to school every day like uh, Eisenhower did. Yeah, yeah. And I I'm not trying to... Are, are you a parent, James? I'm not. So I'm not trying to, like, let these parents off the hook at all. But I do think that parents sending their kids to school is like, I do think that that is, that leaves some people open or vulnerable to manipulation, right? Like parenting yeah. is very difficult. Parents do not have a ton of resources or like meaningful institutional support. And there are legitimate threats to the safety of kids. Like if you send your kids off to school, they might not come back. And that's probably a very scary reality. And I think that when people are scared and also under-resourced, it creates the prime conditions for manipulation. And I think oftentimes the real threats are like systemic, big, scary, thorny issues. And so it's a lot easier to be like, oh, the threat to your kids is Black people. The threat to your kids is masks or drag queens or whatever, because 
even though it's ridiculous and harmful, because it's just like easier for people who are angry and scared and under-resourced to wrap their head around. Yeah, like, um, I can imagine it is petrifying, right? You raise this little human being and you get them to like four or five years old, and then you entrust them to someone who, who you barely know. And like, yeah, kids get shot in, in their schools far too often in this country. And like, that, that must be, I can't imagine how scary and worrying that is. But like, yeah, look, Mark's got a lot of shit wrong, but, uh, and he got a lot of shit wrong with false consciousness. But I do sometimes think that like, yeah, you, you're attacking the, uh, the facade, not, not the foundation of the structure with this stuff. Exactly. And, you know, this is just not something that educators get into the field to deal with. Like, as educators, when I was teaching, I made no money. I had to work, even though I was like a a full-time lecturer at a university, I had to work at a cafe on the weekends. I wasn't making a ton of money. And so who, just like with the election situation, like, who would want to, for not a lot of money, have to deal with people like this who are making it not just not just precarious, but also unsafe to do a job that's, like, pretty low-paid at times. Like, it's just, like, not what educators get into the field to deal with. And I think that we're seeing a lot of the impacts of that. There's not a lot of national data about educator shortages, but I do know that it is a statewide problem. According to the Washington Post, the Nevada State Education Association estimates that roughly 3,000 teaching jobs remained unfilled across the state's 17 school districts as of early August. In a January report, the Illinois Association of Regional School Superintendents found that 88% of school districts statewide were having problems with teacher shortages, while over 2,000 teacher openings were either empty or filled with a less qualified hire, or less than qualified hire. Um, The same is true in Houston, where the largest five school districts are all reporting between 200 and 1,000 teacher positions remaining open. And I think, you know, I'm I'm not going to pretend to know what the, you know, cause of the teacher shortage is. But I have to I have to imagine that the kind of extremist takeovers that we have seen of our of our education system has to be playing a role in it. Yeah, I mean you just don't you shouldn't have to deal with that shit full stop, but to deal with it for, you know, less than minimum wage by the time you commute to work and like buy your students books and stuff, right? Like we pay teachers terribly. And yeah, it's it's just not worth it. Wasn't there a state that drafted National Guard into like teaching positions for a while? Yep. Yep. Totally so, normal. Yeah, totally normal. We've seen yeah. like National Guard being asked to teach in Florida. Florida was allowing veterans uh, with no teaching background and without bachelor's degrees to teach, which, by the way, after all of DeSantis's like puffery around that program, it resulted in a whopping seven new teachers. So thank you, DeSantis, <laughs> for that program. And I think that that's also part of it. I think that like the deprofessionalization of educators being yeah. like, oh, anybody can do it. I think that's part of what's going on here. And I think, you know, my hot take is this is all by design. It is by intention to dismantle and disarm our public education system to the point where it will no longer be a viable option for folks. Yeah. And and yeah, a lot of people are certainly like wealthy people have always been sending their children sort of outside of the public education system, right? That like, it should be one thing that we can all get behind funding. There shouldn't be disagreement about it's like everyone wins, even if you don't have children, right? Everyone wins when our children are better educated and, and better people, like the, thus the DEI stuff. But yeah, apparently we can buy F-35s, but we you know, can't give our teachers heating or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's a, like, it's what, like when I think about my time as a teacher, it's, not, it's like not easy work. It's very emotionally yeah. complex work. And the fact that we are, 
just allowing for extremists and charlatans and grifters to attack educators in this way. I think, as you said, like, we all lose out. We're going to be a less educated populace. We are going to be less equipped to deal with the challenges that we know are facing our country down the line. And I think everybody loses. Yeah, it's very strange. Like, it's such a a difficult challenge. Like, you end up becoming... A lot of things, a lot of different things for a lot of people, right? People will come to you with their with their emotional needs. Like I've I've helped students fix their, their trucks and their cars before. Like you, you sort of you're at the front line of whatever it is that these young people are facing, and you're their sort of often their only person outside of their household that, that they speak to regularly, and in some cases, right? So you're there to sort of connect them with other services, right? Be that counseling or sort of housing. Um, increasingly, I'm sure it's the same where you are, like with many of our students can't afford to pay rent and they end up like living on the streets or living in their cars. And so you become the front line. And like, I bet when I open my email inbox after I'm done, I'll have some kind of email about how to connect students with housing services or something. So you're doing all this stuff and then getting paid very little. And now you've also got like this, this mob of people screaming outside. Like I can understand why people don't want to deal with that shit. Yeah, I can completely understand. And it makes me sad because I feel like as you just articulated so thoughtfully, teaching, I, lo- I loved teaching. It, teaching was like, I had a license plate that said love to teach. Like teaching was a part of my identity. And yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's good when that is just so callously attacked. When, when people who go into the profession because they really love it are attacked and, and, people realize they can make a name off of themselves by, you know, attacking them. I I think it just, it just, it makes me very sad. Yeah, yeah. Especially as, like, students place so much trust in their teachers often, right? Like, it's extremely sad to see their parents, I don't or maybe not their parents, other parents attacking them and and sort of, yeah, it, 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 I don't know, it's such a strange, I understand why it's become this, this sort of site of the culture wars, but like I said, like, everyone loses. It's really... Yeah, it's, it, for someone to sort of go after, and there are people who like crafted this narrative, right? Like, um, for them to choose to go after some of the most altruistic professions in our society is, yeah, it's just pathetic and sad and, and incredibly frustrating. So this all brings us to sort of our conclusion. I want to talk briefly about what I think needs to be done. Well, for one, I think that tech leaders and social media platforms need to take seriously their role in spreading harmful attacks on public education. In 2021, the National Education Association sent social media platforms in general a letter asking them to act on this specific part of the conversation, saying, quote, take, for example, the alarming growth of a small but violent group of radicalized adults who falsely believe that graduate-level courses about racism are being taught in K-12 public schools because of misinformation spread on social media. And there are another small yet vocal group of extremists who are putting the safety of our children, educators, and families at risk over the notion that wearing a mask is an infringement on personal liberty. The speed and reach of these lies that are manipulating so many of our citizens would not be possible without the use of social media platforms. So I think that this is definitely a situation where tech leaders need to get in the game and really have an honest accounting of the ways that they have made this problem worse and act. Second, I think that in general, our media needs to do a better job of reporting on issues, specifically issues that are so disingenuous like the CRT panic, so that the next moral panic doesn't take off. 
You know, we talked about how Christopher Rufo was so explicit about his strategy for making critical race theory this toxic thing that you could put anything under the category of. Why have we allowed that same exact strategy to be effective when it comes to things like LGBTQ folks or drag queen story hours and things like that? And then lastly, this is a little bit of looking inward. I think the misinformation and disinformation community needs to do better. For whatever reason, I think that when it comes to misinformation about something like COVID or vaccines, it's a lot easier for us to talk about and do a lot of public education around than compared to something like critical race theory that is based on inaccurate or inflammatory statements around racial identity. So I think that as a community of folks who are interested in doing public education around how false information works and is spread and is weaponized, we have to be better about taking up that mantle and taking up that fight when those attacks are rooted in identity. But there is a little bit of a happy ending here because I am happy to report that This whole ordeal did not stop Cecilia Lewis. Cecilia currently works as the head of HR for a school district here in the D.C. area. So this was not the end of her. She didn't, you know, she continued to be the talented educator that by all accounts that she was um, and still is. And so, yeah, I think it's a story of, of how all of these panics can really have a human cost. They can really derail people's professional lives and personal lives in these ways that they just don't deserve. Like, regular people don't deserve to get caught up in somebody's, you know, culture war grievance so that they can be the next Fox News superstar, right? Like, I saw this video of a woman at a um, school board meeting. She was upset about pronouns in classrooms, and she was dressed as a cat, right? Like, who, who, it, it doesn't make, it doesn't serve anybody to have people be like, I have this cat, I have this cat suit, let me just bust it out on the school board meeting. Like, that's not a good situation. Yeah, like if you're a cat suit person, that's all well and good. Like you should wear your cat suit. But yeah, yeah. maybe don't don't uh, don't make that your thing at the school. It's like the uh, the turf in Scotland who decided to flash everyone. Yeah. Like that, uh, because the other people were sexualizing uh, kids. It's bad. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that is all I have. James, where can folks hear you, read you, all of that? Oh, okay. Um, so... We have a podcast called It Could Happen Here, also on Cool Zone Media. Uh, people can find it by searching that, and, and they will hear me far too much, probably, and, uh, <laughs> and become annoyed and go on the internet and post about that. Um, but yeah, they can hear me there. Uh, I do Twitter. It's just my name, James Stout. Uh, don't do other social media because of all this <laughs> that we've just talked about. Uh, but yeah, those are the those are the two main things. Uh, I know people should go and read. Maybe they should read some like critical theory. Maybe they should read like Order of Lord or something like that. And uh, and then actually, you know, take the take some terrain back for being nice to other people. Mm-hmm. Bridges, anything that you want to plug at the end here? Me? Yeah. Oh, well, you could. Well, thank you for listening to this podcast. <laughs> you can listen to my other podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Bridget Marie or on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. Yay. Cool. Fun. Episode. Internet Hate Machine is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, check out our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or find us on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. 
the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with Cheap Caribbean Vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget Beach Finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Iberostar Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Um...